Welcome back, my loves. I am so excited to introduce you to Michael Bates. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We're going to discuss communication and being in your healthy masculine, healthy feminine, oh. what kings and queens really look like and feel like, and Whoa. we're going to go lots of places. You ready? S- sounds daunting, but I'm, uh, I'm on board, yeah, for <laughs> sure. So we only met about two weeks ago, but I noticed right away that your communication skills are above average. The, like a C? <laughs> yes. Like a I would B say minus, a C like is a, average. Like a, so C plus. Yeah, B plus, maybe B A minus. Mi- okay. You're up there. All right. You're doing well. Right on. So you're like the Russian judge at the Olympics who never gives a 10. You only can ever get a 9. Wow. That's, a, that's okay. That's harsh. That's no, it's that's good. That's harsh. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can live with a 9. It's good. Let's see. Even there, like you communicated your needs of like wanting to be a 10. It's great. It's good. <laughs> You're very good at communicating your needs and your desires and like clearing the air. And I feel Mm. like most men kind of don't. And maybe they've been trained not to, like emotions and expressing your emotions isn't safe. That's Yeah, that's a really good point. I I think it maybe goes back and forth between not that they haven't been, not that they were trained not to, but Mm. that they just haven't been trained. Like no one teaches us how to communicate, like period. Like, I remember sitting in high school and just being like, okay, like, when, when is the real school start, please? Because this is, I, I don't know why I'm learning this. And, um, yeah, this was really frustrating to feel in particular. I think, well, I can say this. A lot of my communication skills were born out of having really bad ones for a long mm. time. Um, a lot of conflict in my family. I think that's where it all starts for us, right? Yeah. Conflict in the family and we don't have the skills or opportunity to sort of be able to take a bird's eye view and look at something dispassionately. So we're immediately pulled into reactivity and it's very hard to communicate when you're in a reactive state. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, communication is crucial, critical. It's, it's literally the most important thing quite possibly. Interesting that it's born out of miscommunication. For me, it was. I, and I think for us, it is. I think our culture is, that's where we're at. There's a lot of disharmony. And I don't know that it can be any other way, in a way. Like, you have to kind of, you know, the people that I know that are the best at things or the most influential or, like, authentic generally come from a place that one of my mentors likes to say, um, the thing you didn't get becomes the thing you're meant to give or that you're very well suited to give because you know its absence pretty critically, um, pretty, pretty clearly. And so hmm. because you know what it's like to not have the thing, I think you appreciate it more. And there's a specific skill that comes forward to sort of fill that void. And then you become someone that teaches from experience rather than from a, uh, a lesson plan from a book. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've met a few men who have had zero trauma in their life. Yeah. And it, it almost felt like you can push them over, like blow them away. Like well, there, there's a le- <laughs> It almost felt like there was no uh, depth. Hmm? There wasn't this quest that they went on to to really self actualize. Yeah, conflict and discomfort are critical for the masculine. Archetypally speaking, comfort is the enemy of the warrior. Um, not that comfort is bad by any means. Like have comfort, like create comfort, but. 
there's something for the masculine and, and for men specifically that I think is really important that we're starting to remember in our culture that a lot of the older cultures understood very clearly is that there's a necessity for men, especially as young men, especially as adolescents, to go through a ritual or rite of passage that prepares us for the inevitable suffering and hardship of life by teaching us how to practice discomfort, like how to just like we would go to the gym, right? You want to get strong arms. You want to you want to bench press a lot of weight. You train for that. So why on earth have we not been taught to train for discomfort? Like the vicissitudes of life, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, as as Hamlet would say, um, are going to come. Right. Why not train for that? And so it's it's critical in the work that I do, and in a lot of the uh, the ritual and rites of passage work across the planet in all cultures uh, going back through history, they understood the necessity of that. And I think modern men in the West particularly suffer because they haven't been put through an ordeal, a ritual that tells them through the going through the process how to be men. And so, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think we've we've landed very quickly into the podcast on what I would argue is the the critical dysfunction of men and masculinity in the Western world. What it is to be a man? Go there. What it is to be a man? Um, it's we're in a very interesting time. We're in a very interesting time. I feel like twenty five years ago, uh, going back through most of history, there was a clear understanding of what that meant, what the roles were what the identity was, what the, what the spectrum of experience was that you can sort of pull from. And now things are very different, very different. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, but I think it's been a very, 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 very confusing, challenging, and difficult time. I don't think men have ever been more confused about what it means to be a man. Uh, and so, again, throw that in on top of the absence of rituals and, and, and male rites of passage. Uh, I think men are struggling now more than they ever have psychologically and emotionally um, as a result of yeah, not knowing what it is to be a man. I think, how did you ask the question? Will you say it one more time? What Just it is to be a man. Be specific. But why do you think they're struggling? What are, what are they not, what's not landing or, or how are they showing up that isn't in resonance? What is the challenge? Well, uh, I think the men that I work with and from my own experience, there is a, uh, an ask, it seems, an ask from culture, from society, from women to be both sensitive, vulnerable, and uh, emotionally intelligent, and also be strong and tough and a badass. And you know, when there's a bump in the night downstairs, you're expected to be the one to go down and, and handle it. Uh, there's so much pressure on men now. It feels like to be, uh, to 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 yeah, to be all things somehow, to be all things, and it's very difficult, especially when you haven't been given the tools to understand how to come to terms with your own masculinity, what what masculinity means in general, and then specifically what it means to you. So in the work that I do with men, whether it's the coaching space, the rituals, the rites of passage, uh, the men's circles, the groups, all these things, the first thing I do with them is um, answer these questions, essentially. How do you know you're a man? What does it mean to you to be a man? What does it feel like? What's the felt sense of being a man? Like when you really feel in your power, when you really feel grounded or in your essence, like what does that feel like? What does that look like? Because it, it is both a 
amorphous experience, like masculinity, being a man. Like there's a wide array of ways that that can look. Uh, and there are some specifics that most people can agree on as to what a man is. A man is, you know, uh, a, uh, a human adult male, you know, like period. Like that's what a man is. And a man can be almost anything under the sun. And so I think we're, as a culture right now, we're chewing on these two concepts of fixed identities for masculinity and then the spectrum of all these different things. And can men be women? And can women be men? And, you know, there's an emoticon on my iPhone of a pregnant man, you know? Like, that's an interesting thing. That's a whole podcast episode right there. I'm laughing because a lot of men look like they're pregnant nowadays. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh... Dad bonding? Is that what you're saying? No, but, uh, well, there's, that's dietary related. Yeah, which is your wheelhouse. Which right? is your wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, an excessive consumption, I would venture to say, of animal protein. Hmm. And we would, we, would, we w- would disagree on that. Yeah, it's okay. But it's definitely not stuck salad. So what is it? Uh, I would say it's garbage carbohydrates and garbage fats working together to create a confluence of uh, dysfunction and toxic sludge in the body that gets stored as as fat, but that doesn't come from healthy fat. But it's not fat. They're not fat. It's an intestine. Their intestines are impacted. They're not necessarily fat men. They're just, their intestines are loaded. I think it's a combination of animal protein and unhealthy carbs. That combination leads to not digesting the protein well. I, I agree. And, and in my own experiences, you know, we've talked about in our brief history, you know, I was a vegetarian my whole life. And to this day, uh, the second best uh, <laughs> come up, let's say, or, or orgasmic, orgasmic high <laughs> experience was the first time I had red meat yeah. after 33 years of being a vegetarian. So wild. And my body feels the best when I'm eating clean, healthy, grass-fed well-cared-for yeah, animals that yeah. do not come from the factory farm right. system, which is an abhorrence on the face of humanity, but from healthy animals. And my body feels incredible when yeah. I eat healthy I'm not animals. against uh, yeah. animal consumption, yeah. healthy, well-raised yeah. animals, right? Sure. It's the excessive amounts combined sure. with the uh, unhealthy yeah. carbohydrates and unhealthy, and unhealthy, unhealthy fats. fats. Ap- right. we're, we're in total yeah. agreement there. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, back to... We I want to get back to, so what you're saying is landing for women as well, because we also have to step into roles that we didn't have to back in the day. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I, I want to get a little bit deeper on what you define as your uh, masculine. When you ask your, Mm -hmm. the men in your group to define that, what does that look like? What does it look like to you? To be a man or to be masculine? No, to be a man. To be a man. Interesting that there's a a difference. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, we'll go there after. Absolutely. Go ahead. Well, you know, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll go there after. Uh, what does it mean for me to be a man? Yeah, there's a, an element of uh, protectorship, an element of energy. Uh, there's a difference that I feel walking down the street late at night than a woman has. Uh, I love being in my body. I love having a strong, big physical body. I've been 6'5 since I was 14. Uh, I love having that perspective of looking at the world, of the power that's in my system, of the power to um, to do harm if I needed to, uh, the the power to wield violence as an act of love and protection for those I care about is something that I love and have been drawn to martial arts all my life. And 
um, the safest men that I know are the ones that are the most aptly trained in violence. And so there's a, a duality there of being able to uh, live from a place of choice, live mm. from a place of choice as a man who understands and prefers to create a life of softness, connection, containment, but also has the capacity to step into action. Uh, I love my body. I've, I've always been an active athlete. Uh, it's yeah, amazing to be in a male body, you know, having a, <laughs> having a male organ is quite the experience, you know, to be uh, the penetrative force rather than the receptive force uh, is, is profound. I, I wish if there's people ask me this question all the time, like if there's one, if there's one thing that you could experience, um, what would it be that you don't normally experience? And I was like, I would want to be in a female body for like a day, huh. you know, and be able to trade, like have, to, I think all of, all of our problems would evaporate if women could just be in a male body for a day and men could be in a female body. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's, it's, I could, I could wax philosophical on this for a long time. You know, being a man is, um, in the work that I do in the archetypal work, uh, I view it as the, the, the coming together of the integrated forms of the lover archetype, the warrior archetype, and the magician or shaman archetype that all coalesce to produce the energy of a king. And a king produces, provides, and protects. But the integrated king, rather than the shadow king, is then moved to, to give, to, to, to be of service. The thing I hear from most men, especially older men, my father in particular, is this desire to be of service, mm. to be of service as a man. So for me, it's very much an orientation towards loving service. I heard Joseph Campbell say that um, he described women as the vehicles or vessels of life, of life itself. Life moves through your body and you become a vessel for life itself. Your yeah. life is born through your body. What a, what a remarkable experience that I as a man will never experience. But as a man... Uh, he described he described men as the servants of life, the servants of life, life itself, servants to the feminine, but also servants of life. And so I think you know there's a there's a real tendency right now to view the world through a patriarchal quote unquote lens, which is a viewpoint that men as a class have or do oppress women as a class, which to me is a is a sexist view. But um, I, I I'm a big historian. And I don't see history that way. I see history as uh, a long line of men and women living together, working to protect each other and survive, bearing their children along the way as as we try to grow together in unison. So, um, yeah, being a man, it's a it's a wonderful experience. I uh, I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> you know, in your next life, you should you should, you should I take actually, a swing. I actually strongly believe that in a past life, I was a man because I. Very much understand I this feel, concept of yeah, penetration. Mm. I, I feel, I feel like, like I have a lot of, as a woman, so a yeah. lot of past lives. Yeah. yeah. My like, mom's a past life regressionist, oh. so I grew up getting regressed <laughs> by, <laughs> by mom. Wow. All kinds of wild stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. a wild house to grow up in. Lo- I can imagine. Yeah. My yogi dad and past life regressionist, astrologer mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. You got a lot of wisdom tapped in from the get-go. I did. I did. Yeah. And, and the way I like to view things is every, every idea, ideology or movement has its brilliance and its shadow. Mm. So yeah, I grew up as, you know, long haired hippie kid in LA with all of the 
the uh, the benefits of liberal progressivism and yoga and we went to meditation on Saturdays in this wild new age church with a, a gay minister in Long Beach, California in the 80s, you know, it was like, nice. it was dope. And uh, I was encouraged to, you know, do whatever I wanted, believe whatever I want. So I had a wide range of choices to, to make. So that was, that was fun. That was fun. But I also, um, I also learned to, uh, when I got angry to meditate, uh, for better or for worse, I learned to suppress my anger and to om, om, mm. you know, when someone would actually infringe on a boundary. And so a lot of my work, my own podcast is called Remasculation. And so it follows my journey of being that sort of uh, son of a second wave feminist who very much thought that the best way to serve women was to be sort of subservient to them and to pedestalize them and also de-pedestalize myself. So that's sort of a bit of my own journey into that. But hmm. you know. Interesting difference there, because you want to honor the woman. For sure. But ped- pedestalizing, that's a hard word to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, pedestalizing, pedestalizing, uh, pedestalizing. There creates this hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. where maybe she, hers get put above yours. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that was, that was my general disposition for most of my life. And... Uh, uh, romantic life for sure didn't uh, turned out not to not to serve so well <laughs> did initially you know it seemed it seemed that way but uh yeah uh, the women i was with didn't want to uh they wanted to be loved and cherished and respected but they didn't want uh, a pacified uh subservient man hmm. to be with them so it was a whole thing man it's a, a lifetime's journey of uh, digesting and exploring my upbringing and the ideologies that uh, I was raised on and that influenced me to be a, a certain way on a certain side of a of a of a spectrum and been working all my life to sort of balance that. Um, I think that's that's a bit of the crux of my work is seeking balance, trying to help men balance their equation. I work with a lot of men who have a lot of. Uh, what would be called traditional masculine energy, a lot of sword energy, a lot of strength and fortitude and in the gym and of that persuasion, but don't necessarily have the emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. or the sensitivity. They haven't learned to sensitize themselves in a different way. And I think men get a lot of of crap about that. Um, Men need to be sensitive. They need to be emotional. But it's very important for the women listening and for anyone listening. I mean, uh, there's something about... Well, let me put it to you this way. There's a very old way of looking at the masculine shadow as a form of disconnection, like being disconnected uh, is, I would say, at the, at the, at the core of, the, and by shadow, the, the, the unseen thing, that which is causing harm, that which is uh, yeah, in the background sort of running and disrupting the system. But... Um, <clears throat> What are your favorite tools to sensitize a man? Because mm. that's definitely not how you show up now. You clearly have done the no, work. You are definitely. very healthy yeah. in your, it yeah. seems very healthy in your masculine. Yeah, there's, there's lots of tools. And this is, I think this is the point I'm making is that it's important to remember that for thou- thousands of years, um, thou- I mean, like tens of thousands of years, potentially men have gone on battlefields to protect women. 
And so while there's this whole idea of patriarchy and toxic masculinity, I understand where it comes from and I understand what's behind it. And I don't think it's wrong, but, um, men have desensitized themselves for a long time for a very good reason. So we could take a spear thrust or an arrow or a sword blade or a bullet or a bomb into our body and keep going. Because if we stop and we fall, you're behind us with the children. And if our line breaks, the enemy comes through and not only are we dead, but you're raped and pillaged and our children are taken away by the other tribe. So there's a very old story that is a pan-human story of, of all cultures of men on battlefields strengthening themselves so that I can stand for you. And so when you're asking men to, de- to become sensitive and to become vulnerable, it's a beautiful ask and it's a necessary ask, but you've got, please, please remember what it is and how scary it can be for a lot of men, especially if you've been taught that men have to be strong. And if you cry, you're weak or bad or gay, as they used to call us back in my day, when you were, when you were soft, when you were a pussy, right? And so the tools that are available to sensitize for men need to be applied carefully and need to be applied with skill. I'm going to share more about this, but I, I see some emotion in you in D- hearing I'm, that. I'm, no, I, I'm fascinated. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's beautiful. It's, well, it's yeah. a, an incredible history that you just shared of, of why we're wired this way. Yeah, yeah. So which are your favorite tools? I'm still curious. Yeah, so I have something that I call the, the stack. If you've worked with me, you know what the stack is. You might be like, oh, the stack, oh. Uh, the stack is a uh, very specific combination of exercises and practices that um, I have developed, but don't come from me. Um, The stack is, again, it's, it's an acronym for start today actively creating kingdom. Uh, My men's program is called kingdom. It's about helping men create for themselves a kingdom that they're worthy of and is worthy of them. And in that process, men learn to become uh, emotionally intelligent. They learn to become physically vital and frosty, as the Marines would say. They learn to become uh, financially stable, and they learn to become sexually studious. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are four of the qualities that I help men become, which were uh, actually uh, derived from a collective of... uh, goddesses, a collection of women, when uh, asked what they were looking for in a man. Like if you could balance all of the things that they could put together. And again, it, it doesn't mean you have to be a millionaire. It doesn't mean you have to have a six pack. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, be Gandhi. Um, but that there are qualities that you can develop. And so back to the stack, uh, the three processes that I use are are this. The first practice that I like to begin my morning with is a practice of discomfort. So it's a practice that invigorates, that wakes me up, um, that allows me to set an intention for my day and remind me that, as the Buddha astutely pointed out in his first of the Four Noble Truths, life is suffering until you apply uh, intelligence and action to make it less than that. And so Uh, The first practice is a practice of putting yourself in an uncomfortable position for a certain amount of time 
and letting it cook you. I'm so curious what that looks yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you've if you've ever done like a like a like a like a qigong hold, like okay. a horse stance, uh-huh. like in martial arts, or just anybody can do it. Just go go into a low squat where okay. you're standing. You know, protect your knees. Uh, raise your hands over your head and place your uh, middle fingers touching with your palms facing towards the ceiling. Mm. So that would look like this. So trying to get your arms up over your head as much as you can with the tips of your middle fingers touching with your palms facing towards the ceiling. So it puts a very intense hold into your upper body while going down into a half squat and then activating... um, what they call in the West, the breath of fire, Mm. Kapalabhati, out of the yoga tradition, the shining skull breath, which is a rapid form of nostril breathing. So you're heating up the body, you're activating the muscular system, which is heating up the body. And you hold that for five minutes. Five? Yeah. Yeah. You build up to that. You know, with my (laughs) new guys, we start at three. We start at two and a half based on where they are. Wow. But it's how, it's, it's the best way to train it's the most, if I had to choose one practice for developing masculinity, mm. and, and again, in any body, so in a male or female right, body, right. if you want to cultivate a quality of masculine energy, you put yourself in a position of discomfort for a reason. And that's, that's the really important part of it, is setting your intention before you do the practice. So why, what do I want to put my energy and intention to? Who in my field needs energy today. Oh, my, my, my brother is having a tough time right now or my friend or that, you know, a client that's really going through it. I'm going to dedicate this practice to them. I'm going to intentionally put myself in a state of discomfort for the sake of raising their, their vibration, raising their life, putting all my attention on them, holding my attention on seeing them as their best self healed their best iteration. While my shoulders start to burn, while my legs start to burn, while I go into a state of challenge with the timer and I face the discomfort of the mind and the mind that says, what are you doing? You're a crazy person. Don't listen to this Michael Bates guy. Stop. But you don't. You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. And then you very slowly come out of the position at the end. You don't shake it off. You come out of it very, very slowly and you let the body reorient itself based on the challenge and you don't shake off what you've gained. You don't shake off what you've earned. And suddenly you find yourself in a rather meditative state and the gratitude for life that comes from having been in a state of discomfort. You want to quit. You want to quit. You want to quit. You don't. You don't. You don't. The practice ends and you start off your day by accomplishing something difficult. And there's an old Japanese um, saying that a client of mine actually uh, in my last kingdom group uh, brought to to the group that I love. So... Props to you, Devin. Um, there, there's this idea that every morning you wake up with an unformed block of wood under your pillow. And whoever gets its hands on that block first carves that block for the day. So the importance of having a morning practice, the importance of doing something out of the gate to start your day that sets the tone for the day. Mm. Because it's all about momentum. Yeah. It's all about momentum. And I so, make my bed. <laughs> that's critical. I feel, I feel very accomplished thing. and successful. <laughs> It's it's one of the first and most important things that you can do. I also do that. First I make thing my bed very well, as Doctor Peterson would say. Um, <laughs> you are you are how does he put it? You are you are. Uh, it's like a representation of putting back together the 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 cosmogonic chaos of the universe and representing making order out of chaos. 
by making your bed. It's also it. something you do in the military. Interesting. And I'm not military, by the way, but I got it from this yeah. um, monk called Dandapandi. Dandapandi, yeah. and he said it's about closing the loops. Yeah. So when when you finish sleeping, you make your bed. When you yeah. finish eating your food, you do the dishes. It's, it's it's a pretty universal human practice of making the bed, and those are the those are the practices that to me that are the most fascinating. And I'm a big again, I'm a big history guy. I'm a big anthropology guy. I'm a big student of us. I'm a student of humanity because mm-hmm. I do believe that we're all brothers and sisters and uh, our, our skin colors and, and dispositions, shapes of our faces and noses have been changed by the environment that our people came from for thousands of years. Um, and that's it. You know, we have, we all have the same stories. If you read Murcia Eliad's work, if you read Joseph Campbell's work, the men who have exhaustively studied all of the cultures on this planet from the beginning of recorded time to now, there are these beautiful universalities of common themes and common stories. The names are different. The names of the gods are different. The names of the heroes and heroines are different, but they're the same fucking stories. Mm. And it's so, it's so unifying for me. And so I, I, I do my best to pull from these themes that are not mine but have been given to us by our, our, our ancestors. And there's power in these stories. And so I, um, I build my work from the shoulders of the giants of humanity that have come before me. And so the, the stack is a built, uh, a, again, a, a combination of, as I like to do, three practices. The first is a, a practice of discomfort, which when you complete it, gives you a sense of accomplishment and also kind of puts you into this very pseudo-meditative state. It's a preparatory state for the meditation that's coming in the third practice. But the second practice is a breath practice. And it can be an upregulating or a downregulating breath. In the morning, I prefer an upregulating breath to wake me up, to continue the theme of that challenge practice. So I'll do... Um, a lot of people have heard of Wim Hof, yeah. uh, our favorite uh, uh, eccentric Dutchman. And so I love to do breath-challenging practices in the morning. And again, um, if the feminine is the vessel of life, uh, the global traditions of humanity have intimated that the masculine rules death. If the feminine rules life, the masculine rules death. And so the necessity for men, or again, if you want to practice masculine energy in your body-mind, confrontation with and contemplation of the inevitability of your death and your demise and that this too shall pass and your life will end uh, becomes very useful. Mm. It can be scary at first because we don't talk about two things in our culture, sex and death, uh, arguably the two most important things and the things I like to talk about most. Good. Let's go there. Yeah. You mentioned earlier sexual studious, sexually studious. Yes. What does that mean to you? Well, as a woman, wouldn't you want a man that was sexually studious? Yes. Most desired and Uh, most are not. Right. And again, why is that? Right. Why is that? So we go to high school, we go to college, we learn all kinds of things. Very interesting. Some of the things we don't learn. We don't learn how to do our taxes. We don't learn about money and investing. Uh, We don't learn about, uh, let's say, the real estate market. And we don't learn about sex. We don't learn about each other. Um, I very recently learned a series of conversations to be had uh, as a means of, let's say, negotiating 
uh, sexuality, negotiating connection, negotiating, you know, uh, uh, a, a physical interaction that I feel like we all should have been taught when we were 12. Mm. We all should have been taught when we were 12. So there's no sexual education in this country. If we're lucky, we get a little bit of some type of lecture in science class in middle school. How I to put on a condom. There. That's what know? I was going to say. <laughs> and that's it. Uh. But unlike when you and I grew up, um, now everyone on this planet on their phone has pornography ad nauseum at their fingertips. And so men are not just being maleducated, in my opinion. They're being diseducated by pornography um, because... Uh, pornographic actors, let's call them, are actually terrible at sex. They're horrible at sex. It's hilarious to me. So I don't know if uh, I have this, I have this thing with Uber drivers where I, I tend to get a lot of, uh, let's say, uh, Uber drivers that aren't very good at driving somehow, you know, the herky jerky kind of thing. And I'm like, bro, I'm going to puke in the back of your car. So what I see with a lot of porn is there's a very specific theme being enacted. There are very specific uh, ways of fucking that, uh, in my experience, in my opinion, of talking to a lot of humans, both male and female and other, um, that's, not, that's not really how it can be done. I mean, it can be done that way. You can just kind of shove it in and jackhammer, jackhammer away. Um, but the problem is, not only our young men, but our young women are being taught, they're being educated by pornography and mm -hmm. left to be educated by pornography. And I'm not here to talk smack about the porn industry, but I kind of am, <laughs> let's be honest, uh, because it's, it's, it's horrible for so many people and it's teaching people horrible skills. I would rather men be taught nothing and just come to a woman sort of with their own just, I don't know what to do, instinctive curiosity, rather than the diseducation of what porn teaches. Mm -hmm. So to become st sexually studious as a man means to, as I teach it, the, f the fundamental principle of, of a tantric perspective is that the, the female practicing partner, again, it can be someone in any body, but if you're taking the receptive, passive uh, sub role, that... Uh, the practice is to put all of your attention on your own body, your own sensation, what's happening for you as the feminine vessel. And then the male, or excuse me, the masculine practicing partner, again, it can be a man, it can be anybody, um, puts his attention not on himself and his own sensation and practice, but on her body, her sensation, her mm. practice. So I'm not saying that, 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 is, that is the high level uh, the high level engagement of uh, what I think has been in a way reduced in a lot in, in, in the West in a lot of the neo tantra uh, spheres. Let's the say the neo tantra. Neo tantra. This is yeah, a new term for me. Thing. It's all the, well, most most tantra that you experience in the West is neo tantra. Um, it's a whole other topic we can totally get into. Let me let me just say that I think that um, a lot of the work that I do with men and with women in the co-ed space is to prepare them energetically for fluency in masculine and feminine dynamics. So the way masculine energy works most of the time and the mm. way feminine energy works most of the time, not all the time. Note that, the, note that I'm not saying that it's always this way or always this way. It's not. There's this exception to every rule. But the process of becoming sexually studious is studying your own sexuality. What are you attracted to? Why? Um, 
what do you, how do you want to be loved? How do you want to be a lover? What is your relationship to the opposite sex or the same? What, what, is, what does good sex mean to you? How is that achieved? What are the conversations that need to, ha- need to be had with yourself and with your partners in order to be able to set yourself up to be having a beautiful experience that benefits everyone? Like that to me, that to me is, is the technology that we need. And that to me is the difference between a good lover and a bad lover. A conversation, again, back to conversation where we started, that to me is where sexual studiousness begins. Mm. And being able to understand your own desires, your own wants, needs, fears, boundaries, concerns, and then those of the other person rather than just trying to be in the seduction and hope that you get into bed together. Mm. Um, And then wondering why things don't necessarily work out well the next morning or when you sober up, right? And so again, I just, it, it, it hurts me to, to hear the stories of, of our brothers and sisters that have such challenging experiences sexually, initially, the, the losing of the virginity, the sort of one of the few rituals and rites of passage that we have in our culture that is undergone unconsciously, but that does imprint us for the rest of our life in such a powerful way. And it's, it's heartbreaking to hear how the majority of stories that I hear from people are not good. They're not pleasant. They're not, wow, that was such a revelation. That was so amazing. Wow. Sex is so beautiful. And oh my gosh. So yeah, we just, we haven't been given these tools. And on top of it, our culture has pitted us at war against each other. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the battle of the sexes is alive and well. It's raging. Uh, It's really raging. And there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of challenge and resentment out there. Speak to the the man or the woman that wants to communicate their needs, but is shy to, is scared to. Yeah. How do you have these conversations if you're kind of, if you're anxious or nervous or. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and that's the thing. You, you should be nervous. You should be anxious. Like there's a beautiful person that you're presumably attracted to enough to want to have sex with. Like your heart rate should be elevated. It should be like, whoa, my God. So again, that's why, you need to have, I believe, having clear pathways or tools that you can use that you can rely on in those moments where, oh my God, I just want to, I just want to have sex. Oh my God, she's so hot. Um, Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. You are a very attractive woman, Dr. Nikki. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, as I, as I teach my men and as I, I would, I would say this to, to anybody, any gender, any persuasion that. Um, the first task is to clarify what your needs are. The first task, it all, it begins with you, like to the degree you can put in the time to get as clear with what you, again, your wants, your needs, your desires, your boundaries, your fears, your concerns, get super clear with yourself, write it down, throw it on a voice note, get a good girlfriend or a guy friend together and like, Hey man, like I want to talk about some stuff. Are you available? You want to, let's, let's, let's see where we're at. And so, getting clear with yourself first and then being able to bring that to someone else. Um, again, the, the, the types of conversations I'm, I've alluded to, there's an acronym for one of them. It's called RBDSM. It's an acronym for the different sort of ways to speak to people and the categories. There's, it's also called SPREAD, S-P-R-E-A-D. Um, I got this from ISTA, actually, from the International School of Temple Arts, which is a very interesting organization that I, I, I believe is actually doing a lot of really good work. They've been, uh, you know, they've been in some hot water for some things. And 
uh, an organization that broad that has lots of individual teachers. For me, I follow the teacher, not the tradition, because mm-hmm. um, I think there are pr- plenty of terrible Buddhist practitioners out there, and there's really amazing ones. So for me, it's about it's about the teacher, not the tradition. But um, yeah, being able to have a framework for being able to ask and sit down and slow down and make sure that you are communicating skillfully in a way where you're setting yourself up and the other person up to have a really beautiful experience. And it can feel unsexy sometimes. Like, oh, I just want to, let's just, let's just go for it. It's like, yeah, you, you can do that. And what if you did have a conversation? And for my men out there, you know, I will say this, you, you show up as the man that has clarified what he wants knows what he wants from a woman, is able to pause and say, hey, I'd really like to have a conversation with you about this because I want to take really good care of you and I want to take really good care of me. And I want to create a space for us to be able to explore where we are set up for success in the best way possible. See, that's sexy. It is sexy. Because if you can help a woman to feel both safe and cherished, she'll open to you in a way that you've never, ever experienced. And Mm. it will be very difficult to go back from, fellas, just so Mm. you know. And again, I'm speaking to people in every body, but I I do speak generally in the man-to-woman frame because that's the frame that I'm in. I'm in in that frame, so, yeah. Huge. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Simple, uh, but huge. It's wildly simple, and yet, Usually the best things are, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I can speak from personal experience. I was taught not to express my needs. And that I was, uh, to this date, if I say no to my mother, she'll call me a selfish little girl. Mm. So if I set my boundaries, um, or when I cried as a little girl, she said, stop crying, I'll give you a reason to cry. Wow. Right? So my emotions weren't allowed. My needs, my boundaries weren't allowed. It wasn't safe for me to express because my mother would yeah. retract her love. love. Yeah. Weaponized love, yeah. It's, yeah. That's a real weapon and tool of the shadow feminine. Yeah. yeah. In her defense, she did a remarkable job raising me. I mean, she did everything she possibly could to give me the childhood that she didn't have. And so I want to honor her for that. And there were moments where she didn't uh, satisfy my needs. And so let's go there then, uh, because women are being called to step into their masculine like never before. Yeah, and to. Empowered to. And, empowered and, to. And like, in lots sure. of really good, beautiful ways. Right. But, but again, every movement has its brilliance and its shadow. Mm. And I think we're finally starting to be ready. And these are the, the conversations I'm starting to have in my work. We're ready to start talking about the unintended consequences of feminism and the unintended consequences of the hyper-masculinization of, of women um, for better and for worse because there's obvious benefits to it, but there's also shadows to it. So, yeah, what are, what are you seeing and how are you seeing these sort of play out? I think women, uh, I think women wanted the option of, mm-hmm. of stepping up. Yes. And now that we're kind of almost forced to, in a way, like mm-hmm. expe- it's expected of us to, to step up into the masculine role of earning an income. And things. Who's expecting it, do you think? Uh, society. It's like a societal... Men aren't... <laughs> we're not waiting for marriage to have sex anymore. Right? Sure. So there's created a very new dynamic of... Birth control emerged, yeah, that allowed us to be able to do that, yeah. Right. Feminine hygiene products, yeah, a lot of things that have allowed for the... Um, yeah, for fe- for feminism to flourish, for women's independence to flourish. And yeah, I'm, again, fuck, fuck yeah to that. Yeah, all for and. it. And, and I think... 
a lot of women that I talk to just want to be taken care of as a woman. And they, they want to step into their mm. divine feminine, take mm. care of the home, yeah. create the loving space for a man to come home to and elevate him in the way that yeah. she does. So my question to you is, first of all, what does a female in her masculine look and feel like to a man? It depends on the man. It mm. depends on the man. I, I, I want everyone to hear this very carefully. In no way am I saying at all that women shouldn't be masculine or can't be masculine. Uh, again, men have feminine qualities. Women have masculine qualities. These are, these are energetics that we're speaking of when we speak of masculine and feminine. Um, what I'm interested in is, are you happy? Is the way that you're being fulfilling you? Or uh, is it not? Is it not? And I think what you just said that um, the challenge for modern women in having to play both roles or feeling like they have to play both roles. My, 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 <sighs> the challenge that I'm speaking to quite a bit lately is that there, I feel like a lot of the women that I'm working with uh, feel like they were tricked or feel like they were sold one side of the equation uh, in the sense that as women, as modern women, you owe it to your grandmothers to become a doctor or a lawyer or to, you know, uh, be a badass boss babe, you know, have your own business and do all these things. And again, I am not saying in any way, shape or form that women can't or shouldn't do that, period, full stop. And, and it's very challenging to build a successful business to build a successful career and also build a successful family and have marriage and children and these types of things while also running a business. It's not impossible. There are lots of women that do it and can do it. It's just a matter of, as I heard someone say, it's, it's, it's easier to be an excellent mother or an excellent businesswoman than it is to be excellent at both. Mm. That in some ways it's it's just more challenging because you have more things to focus on. Right. And where are you putting your attention? And energy. That's both of those take a lot of energy. They do. They do. There's the, you get depleted. They do. And I've seen sort of a theme in a lot of uh, sort of the friend groups, the female friend groups that I grew up with, of almost like demonizing a woman who is just a mom. Mm. Who only wants to sort of be the traditional woman from back in the day, you know? And it's, it's really interesting. You know, I have someone that's very close to me in my family who, um, as a woman, struggled. Uh, I watched her struggle for a long time to sort of figure out who she was in the world until she became a mom. And she's one of the best mothers I've ever seen. And it was like this secret skill that none of us knew she had, including her, emerged. Hmm. And so it's like, what is the value? What is the monetary value of raising a child? You know? It's invaluable. And I think this is, this is the challenge and this is where I think feminism came in in a lot of ways to try to answer some of these questions where men were being valued because or the, the bottom line of having a career, a career pays you. You get money. You get paid. Um, I would say that women in relationship who were at home mothers were being paid by their husbands to, you know, you're here's the home and here's, you know, the groceries and here's you're a part of the family unit. But then when the divorces, you know, if a divorce happened, the woman wouldn't necessarily have a fair derivation of the value of 
the value represented her by contribution. The, her contribution. Right. Now we have a very interesting dilemma where the majority of divorce um, actions taken actually do benefit the woman. Um, the women uh, have most of the, you know, the, the, the chi- um, what's the term for it? When uh, the, the, the judgments come down, women are more often given custody. Mm. That's the word I was looking for, custody of the kids. Um, so many of the men I know who are, hi- I'll, I'll put it this way, I'll say it this way. A majority of the men that I know who are hyper successful are very uh, bearish on marriage, let's say. Because they don't see the benefit and they see the potential, uh, the potential challenges. Yeah. It's like, why would I, why would I give away half of what I've earned, uh, or the risk of doing that Mm. for stepping into a partnership that, um, (laughs) has a statistical average of failing. Like most, most marriages in the West end in divorce. That's Mm. the statistic now. Right. So it's it's really frustrating and, and unfortunate but i think we're we're in an interesting place i think we're we're sussing these things out as a culture right now we're trying to figure it out and we've gone from one extreme where women are in the home and you have these roles and you have all these things and then feminism i think very very uh correctly emerged to challenge these things and to put forward some really uh important tenets like you know, equal pay for equal work, women and women's ability to be in leadership and in the workforce, um, their ability to be uh, educated, to go to school, to 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 do what men have done, um, control over their own bodies and their uh, their fertility, their sexual uh, opportunities, and um, freedom within the family. So. It's interesting because those are the five core tenets of feminism that feminism put forward as its uh, desires to achieve, and those have been achieved. So feminism has been successful. Feminism won the fight. Women were not in the workforce ever in, mm. in most cultures in the way that they are now. And now women are in the workforce competing for the same jobs that only men were doing for a really long time. And so there's a, we're, we're trying something out as a culture for the first time, really. And again, for better or worse, we're learning about what the impact is. It's very interesting because right now you have more women in medical school than men. You have more women in law school than men. You have um, women really in this incredible crescendo right now, while men are in a pretty uh, shocking decrescendo. Mm. Men are bailing out of schools, universities, programs, out of out of life in general in a lot of ways because men I think um, they don't they don't this is back to what we were talking about at the beginning they don't know how to be men in the way that it was once known mm. and I, I my ask is for everyone out there men and women to try to have some compassion uh, for men um, and I know it's hard if you've been hurt by men or if you have a negative outlook on men but and again, ladies, this is for you. The women that I work with, whether in couples or individually, if you want a loving relationship, if you want to be in a beautiful partnership with a man, the number one thing keeping you from having that are the resentments that you hold towards mm. men. I'll say it again. The resentments that you hold towards men and the masculine generally are the, th- the biggest factors that are preventing you from having the relationship that you want specifically. Yeah. Bar none. Yeah. Bar none. That's what I see. Well, yeah, if you believe men as a class are oppressive, then it's like, 
how can you not extend that to your your boyfriend? Well, and you also call that in, right? Because I had noticed a, yeah. a belief that I had for a while was that I expect to get disappointed by men. Mm, oh, mm. And I was calling in men that were disappointing me. Yeah, human beings are really powerful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we're really good at yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Which true. excites me because it's like, but this is, again, the work I do. To the degree that you have r- realized how powerful you are at calling in the uh, negative side of the equation. Mm out of your unconsciousness and out of just the conditioning, the, the, the patterning, the familial conditioning, the life conditioning that we all have, that I have to the degree you start to work through that conditioning mm-hmm. and start to make the unconscious conscious, uh, things start to change really fast, Yeah, really fast. Oh, very quickly. I had a, I had a, um, amazing young woman on my pod, on my podcast the other day, um, Veronica Colonis, who's, uh, a good friend from New York and is here in Austin now too. And we had a great conversation about her and how her, the men she, she that are attracted to her now are so different than the Mm -hmm. women she used to be attracted, attracting and attracted to, to the point that women, you know, women ask her like, how, I don't get it. Like, where are you, where are you finding these men? Like, you know, how men are, you know, how men are. And so you start to hear these things when you, when you really listen to people, and I think this is, you know, any, any good coach, good therapist, um, facilitator, your job is to listen to what people say because yep. people tell you what they think Yeah, and it's, it's powerful how we are spellcasters and how yeah. we are magicians in our own life. And we're as you cre- yeah, we're creating our life, creating it. Yeah. Every moment. Yeah. yeah. Huge. Mm-hmm. When I learned what a queen archetype actually looks like and that's mm. she, a queen is able to speak her boundaries mm. and share her needs. Mm. And it was described to me this way. There, there are three types of boundaries. So it was described. One is the barbed wire. It's a barbed wire fence. These are my boundaries. This is a hard no. And there's no negotiating. Yes. The second type of boundary is, is a wooden fence where there's like okay. negotiation. This is what I desire, but what do you desire? Like maybe a gate that's locked. Right. And can can be like, it's maneuverable. It's okay. great. Okay. And then the, the third boundary is laying out a, um, some rose petals. Huh. And that's saying, these are my needs, these are my desires, and yeah. in this loving, graceful way, and you have the, the opportunity and the, the choice to, huh. to satiate them, right? I love that. Yeah. And most women are very good at the barbed wire. And, and that's where the dynamic yeah. gets a little... We, uh, well, I, I learned, wanna, even yeah. from my own experience, that I've got yeah. to step more into expressing my needs as rose petals, and that the man actually wants to step up and serve. Absolutely. Oh, we, we are the servants of life. We're terrified of you and we love you more than anything. Like we, we follow you. I know that men are the leaders, right? Overtly, but covertly women are the leaders. Mm. We, we love you. We follow you. We do anything for you. And, um, yeah, it's a really beautiful piece of the puzzle in that sense of things. Like we're, you know, you, you give us, well, you give us, yeah, so much. So much, and it's important to to remember that. Just wanted to throw this out there and just sort of send some love to my to my sisters out there listening. Um, I you said that you know women are really good at creating the barbed wire, right? And that's true. Um, and it's I just want to acknowledge that how how necessary it's been for so many women to create the barbed wire, and that the barbed wire has been created for you by. Uh, really hard, challenging experiences that you've had, period, 
or specifically with men and the masculine. Yeah. And so I don't want to just say that, oh, well, just men, women, women are just barbed wired because, you know, that's the nature of things. It's like, no, no, like, I get it. Like, feminism arose for a reason. Yeah. Like, the, the wording, the inner dialogue behind the barbed wire is don't yeah. fuck with me. Oh, for sure. And it's this very strong... Well, and that's it, right? right? And if so, if you have had a challenge, and this is for men too, if you've had a challenging experience with men, like if you've had harm done to you by a man who is one of men, it's very normal to not trust men. You know, it's very normal not to trust the thing that hurt you. Mm. Uh, like it's okay. It's okay that you've created those walls and those generalizations to protect you. As you, as you start to go through the pathway of your own healing, again, to the degree that you can start to start to work on those generalized resentments while still being protective, like not throwing that out or in any way excusing behavior that's been harmful. And you start to be able to understand the necessity for the barbed wire, not just out of a protective impulse, but as, as something that can really serve to keep you safe and strong. Yeah, I think that's, I just wanted to say that. Okay, I have a really fun question that just came through. Yeah, Uh, come on. (laughs) And it's going to be in service of you demonstrating how the man can communicate his needs. Okay. What is your ask of women? What is my ask of women towards men? No, yeah, just in general. Like if you you were encountering a a really beautiful queen that you wanted to... Mm maybe pursue what would be your ask of her how would you want her to show up well if she's a if she's an inner queen energy mm-hmm. that would mean that she's skilled at empowering those around her to give her what she wants and so um yeah th- there's there's something that's been lost in the battle of the sexes and to the degree that i think women understand this you you, you not only raise your own value exponentially, but you actually heal the divide between men and women. And it's that um, for men, you know, the world is a battlefield in a lot of ways. We're competing continuously against ourselves, against other men in our work, out in the world, uh, making money, doing these things. Whatever, whatever, however you are as a man in the world, there's, a, there's, some, there's an energetic of... Hmm, conflict and the fight and the battle or the hero's journey or whatever you want to call it. The last place I want to be at war Mm. is in the home. I don't want to leave the battlefield and come home to a battlefield. And this does not mean in any way that you should be a passive little woman who just takes my shit no matter what. Please don't do that. But to the degree that women understand that the, one of the greatest gifts you can give us as men is, uh, is like spiritual sucker, is like mm. a home, something to come home to. I will never forget the first time a woman cooked a meal for me. And I came, I came in and she just presented this meal. And I immediately felt guilty because I didn't help her cook. I wasn't here to like be in the kitchen with her and cooking. She was like, no, no, I made this for you. And she was Italian and this is in New York. And it was like this very, very sort of stereotypical kind of thing. I'm like, you know, hey, come here, sit down. Aww. And I was like, and I had the trippiest experience because A, she, well, she was an amazing cook. Mm. But there was something else. 
It makes me emotional. Um, there was something else that she put into that food. And I felt it. And it went into my body. And it nourished me mm. in this incredible way. And this is not some sideways way of me saying, you know, get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. But there is, there are a few things. And I, I try this, ladies. Like, try this in your modern relationship. And you've maybe never done it before in your life. Or maybe you do it all the time. But the next time your man comes home from the gym or like a hard day's work, uh, it can be a smoothie. It can be a juice. It can be, you know, it's like, but like a meal that you made for him, like to sustain him, to bring him back to life, to, to renew and refresh and revivify him in your presence. It will, it will create something between the two of you that has nothing to do with a battle or a tit for tat, or trying to get one over on someone else. Um, I think, <laughs> I say this a lot, and in a lot of ways, I feel like feminism should actually be called masculinism, because what it's done is masculinize a lot of women. And, mm. and you know, whatever men can do, I can do, or I can do it better. And it's like, maybe, maybe, that's okay, Tr go for it. Again, if that feels good to you, sister, go, do that. I support your right to do that. And there is another side of the equation that I think a lot of women have forgotten, which is the soft, sweet, receptive side of what men, what really deeply serves us mm. is just you. Like you're the thing we're trying to come home to. You're the, you're the thing at the end of the hero's journey that we're trying to get to. It's a very famous argument that happened between Robert Moore, who wrote King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, and Maureen Murdoch, who wrote The Heroine's Journey. Um, because she was writing the, the woman's version of the hero's journey because, you know, women go on a, women go on a hero's journey too. And in some cases that's correct. But what Robert Moore said was, yeah, yeah. And like, don't like, don't get it twisted and please don't devalue yourself as a woman because you don't go on a journey too. You do go on a journey. Yours is more of archetypally more of an inward journey, but you're the thing we're trying to get to. Hmm. You're the thing we're trying to arrive at. You're the thing we all want. What do you think we're building this world for? What do you think we're doing all this stuff for? Did you ever see Children of Men, the movie? I thought it was to serve your own <clears throat> masculine needs of... <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, but for what? Yeah. For what? Hmm. What am I building a kingdom for? To create a home. To so hang out with my boys and play video games and smoke weed and watch porn? Huh. No, no. Those three things are, are things that pull men away from themselves and their ability to create a kingdom more than anything I've encountered. Mm. But there is a reason that we're building it and, 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 and something that we're building it for. And when women understand this, you will understand men in a way that won't allow you to hold on to old wounds and these mm. ideas of quote unquote patriarchy. Because you'll start to see men. And you'll start to see us in the way that we are. And who we are are beings that love you and are so devoted to you. You can crush us with a word, with a glance. It's important to remember masculine violence is physical, but feminine violence is emotional. And we are easily manipulated because we care. And again, tantrically speaking, the masculine penetrates the feminine through the sex, but the feminine penetrates the masculine through the heart. And there are a lot of really good-hearted, soft-hearted men out there that have armored the fuck up yeah. because they've been hurt and wounded and damaged. Right. 
And so again, uh, the heart of my work is to turn the battle of the sexes into a ballad, into the ballad of the sexes, because I think that's who we truly are as humans. And we're on the same team and we're of the same species. Mm. And so that is what I think about that. Beautiful. Thank you. Any final thoughts, Michael? Final thoughts. Mm. Oh, wait, no. I have my favorite question to ask you. come on, come on. Uh, If little six-year-old Michael was sitting next to you right now, (laughs) what would you say to him? He's usually sitting next to me. Um, Lately, more lately now than ever. Um, Yeah, yeah. We we did a a rescue mission or two to go back for him and spend some time with him. I would tell him that... um, it's okay that the emotional dysregulation that he's feeling is, um, is normal uh, for what he's experiencing and that it's not his fault, that it's not his fault and that he's so much fun. And uh, he, he's always had such a big heart, but it's, uh, it's a thing that I carry with me still to this day. My little boy is very alive. I feel so grateful for that. I, I, I feel like I sacrificed a lot to protect him at certain points in my life. Mm. That's a story I have. Um, but I'm so grateful that I did. I spent a lot of time as Peter Pan, as a lot of men, I would say, in the conscious community have because there's an element of growing up that I just didn't want to fucking do because where's, where are the men? Where are the adults? I don't see a man out here that I want to grow up to be, so I'm just not going to grow up. Fuck that. So, yeah, it's, and which again circles us back to what I spoke about at the beginning. I think the most important thing we can do for the men in our culture is to initiate them into manhood. We have a, an entire legion of adult males with adolescent boy psychologies running around, running the world. And to the degree we remember our past and the, the old traditions that understood the absolute necessity of initiation rights and the necessity of men learning how to hold or to find comfort in a state of discomfort. If you can, you can make a home in discomfort, not, not like becoming, you know, masochistic, not like, Oh, fuck, discomfort. I'll just live outside in a tent. Um, but like really understanding the value of being able to be with discomfort. It's what holding space is all about. It's the thing that the feminine often wants and prizes most from a man is his ability to just be with her discomfort, be with the discomfort of the world. Right now, you know, Israel, Palestine, Ukraine, Russia, the stock market, crypto, recessions, fucking my, my, my receipt at Whole Foods, you know, like there's so many things happening out there right now. It's easy to fall apart, but I think one of the skills of the masculine is to hold the fucking line. Mm. and to remember those ancient bloodlines that live in all of us of the warrior that's connected to his heart, the man that has the capacity to wield a sword and and, and do so with an open heart at the same time. That, those are the types of men that interest me. Wow. Th- those are the types of men that I aspire to be and that I help men become, and I believe there is no more valuable commodity on this planet than a truly conscious man who Mm. has become what I call the third man, who has the qualities of both sensitivity and strength. Love that. Yeah, care and kindness, but also killer instinct. It's critical. And it's attractive. It's attractive to men and women. Yeah, very much so. 
I have a new definition for a queen. She has the skill to empower those around her to give her what she wants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. brilliant. I'm writing that down on my like mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and I again, if you're it. and if you're in a male body and you feel more alive with your queen energy. Wow. That's how queen energy, those are the queens of, you know, the ages of throughout the culture. Study these things. Study the yeah. archetypes. Yeah. Look at the different stories. Look at the gods and goddesses. Study where your people came from. Mm. Where do your where do the stories and genetics that live in your body come from? And then take it out into the broader frame. What did the peoples of Africa believe? What did the peoples of Asia believe? But, you know, th- there's oh, so much wisdom mm. in our stored collective experience. Yeah, so true. Yeah. All right, my friend. All right. I feel complete to you. Yeah. How'd we do? We do good. We, <laughs> we do okay. I think we did really well. How could people find you? <laughs> Wandering the streets of Austin, Texas in a black pickup truck. Um, MichaelBates.com. I spell my name a little uniquely thanks to my lovely hippie mother, M-I-K-A-A-L. Uh, last name is Bates, B as in boy, A-T-E-S. Put that together with a www on the front end and a .com on the back end. MichaelBates.com is my website. Um, and yeah, I've been most, a lot of the work that I've been doing is referral is sort of underground. And I, I like it that way. I like to keep my life separate and my own. And, you know, my mission is the evolution of men and masculinity across this planet in our lifetime. And so that type of a mission wants a bit more attention these days. So I'm working to get more on the socials and those kinds of things, which is, yeah. I, I'm, you're at the beginning of a wave. I'm, I'm noticing more and more posts on Instagram where men are calling other men to step up and it's really mm-hmm. good to see. It's really good to see. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for what you do. You're welcome. Yay. Ah, what a treat. So thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thanks for having me in this awesome setup and this whole situation. So appreciate you. Thanks for doing it. My pleasure. All right, you guys. Thanks for tuning in. I love you. Mm. Later. Ciao.